electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now with breaking news. Stocks getting shattered today. The Dow having its worst day since February, tanking more than 800 points. The selling accelerating into the close. And we close at the dead lows of the day. S&P 500 now having its worst losing streak in two years. And take a look at the sea of red on Wall Street. The market took no prisoners. Tech getting hit the hardest, down nearly 5%. The Nasdaq falling a whopping 4%, having its worst day since Brexit. Everything from transports to small caps taking on the chin. 66% of the S&P 500 closed in correction territory or worse. It was a wild day out there as it looks like we are finally seeing some panic set into the market. So are things going to get worse before they get better? Is this a dip you buy? What do you do, guys? Well, I think the good news is we're right on the cusp of earnings season. We sort of talked about that last night. I'm not going to suggest that I knew the Dow was going to be down 800 points today. But we have mentioned the warning signs have been there. The market just hasn't cared until today. What are those warning signs? Well, technology absolutely has been rolling over. Quite frankly, it started with Facebook a couple months ago when it went down 23% in seven minutes. We talked about how an individual stock can do that. Who's to say the broader market can't do that? The small cap index has been going lower. Transports have been starting to roll over. I'm of the belief that this whole thing with China is not going to get settled anytime soon. I think that's been a problem. Mr. Mnuchin today said, China, don't, don't continue to devalue currency. I think that was a factor. Finally, though, the market seemed to care. That's the bad news. The good news, as I said, we're on the cusp of an earnings season that I think will be strong. My concern will be what will guidance be in the wake of a lot of these pre-announcements we've seen over the and last couple of weeks. maybe you get buybacks weeks. back. That was the reason earnings were coming up. You There's had a blackout. A, a, right, a buyback blackout. You had a blackout. So maybe you get them to help the heavy lifting. But I think today was technicals. It wasn't fundamentals. If you look back in January, February, similar, but we ran up a lot more prior to January. So I think all things being equal, we're right around support levels in the market, the 200-day. Earnings season. I mean, Guy had to mention the yeah. PPG, right. Dr. and Gamble. That's the problem we have, right? So if we hadn't had those earnings warnings and uh, Flower Corp after the close today, earnings warnings there. So if you didn't have those, then you might look at this and say, okay, maybe this is an opportunity to buy the dip for the longer run. I'm not clear on that now. I do think in the very short term, you see a day like this, Dow's down 800 points. This is not the day to panic. This is the day to start looking at, hey, wait a second, as a trader, maybe I want to pick this up. So what I'm looking for, and maybe it happens tomorrow, you wake up, Dow is down two, 300 points of futures in the morning, and then you get that reversal. Uh, that, to me, would be very positive, and I, and I would be buying that. I agree completely. I think, I mean, we're, I think, a little bit further down now. Clearly, markets overseas are going to open down. Europe's going to do poorly tomorrow. And we'll probably open down, too. I, I'm sort of intrigued by this. I always say that when things start to trade down in integers at a time, something else is going on, and that's appealing to me. I mean, you know, today I got trampled by that thundering herd of integers going down. But I, I, don't, I don't think that... Things have changed that much fundamentally in terms of how the U.S. economy is doing. And I think we're going to see good earnings. I hear Guy's point, and it's a good one about it's not just the earnings, it's about the guidance. But now the bar is lower for earnings, right? It's right. significantly lower in many cases for earnings. But doesn't so, that mean, remember we, we talked about in January, February, we heard about risk parity accounts that no one understands, the CTAs that no one understands, gamma that no one understands. It felt like that integers was part of that. So I don't think it's something that's tangible, which makes it more viable to me. So It runs its course. Okay. You deleverage. You right. de-risk. So Once you get to a certain level, it becomes a screaming buyback, and then it evens out a little and bit And the 43% there. spike in vol that we saw today, I mean, if you were to believe that there are risk parity accounts at work, et cetera, and all that's going on, then that was one of your catalysts. Right. And so all those things are reason why you want to start looking to buy this market, potentially, rather than panicking here and trying to buy puts with vol spiking like that. This is, to, to Grasso's point, kind of a technical, mechanical part of the market. That doesn't mean we can't go lower. It doesn't mean that the economy might be slowing or not. But the very short term, 
there's going to be a tradable opportunity here. Here is my question. I'm sure the home gamers thinking the same question because we have very astute viewers out there. You're thinking, what does this market sell off? Tell us, are there questions about the U.S. economy, to Karen's point? I mean, when you, when you take a look under the hood of the markets, right, we lost FANG, what, back in June. The average small cap stock was down 6% or more than that um, in the month of October, down 20% from their 52-week highs. Um, we have all sorts of growth indicators, I mean, the growth stock areas really falling off. So didn't that tell us early on that there are questions about growth and then we get all these warnings? The question, Should I be worried? There are questions about growth without question. However, I mean, you're talking about a U.S. economy that has historically low unemployment rates. Optimism is through the roof. Um, profit margins until recently have been spiking. So all those things... Have been, With man-made headwinds. Man-made headwinds in exactly. the form of tariffs, in the form of higher oil which prices. Which we're doing. A lot of it is self-inflicted. Now, President Trump might be right. The Chinese might be absolutely ripping us off intellectual property-wise and in terms of trade. There's no question about that. I have no idea. I don't sit on those meetings. But to think there's not going to be a ramification for the broader market on the back of that is foolish. But we've had those worries, though. We've had we, those worries. And now in the time. market hasn't like cared. To a, right. And all the fundamentals that you just started uh, naming have been positive. They've been tailwinds to the overall economy. That's why it just seems to me that it's a more deleveraging, risk-off type trade based on things that have been around there for quite some time. I'm going to cast myself in the role of Debbie Downer tonight, though. <laughs> oh, really? Because we have, not, we have not seen the impact of the latest round of tariffs, and we're only right. getting whiffs of that now with these warnings. And so every single indicator that you point to... But when you look at Powell, what did Powell say? He said, we've analyzed the data points, and we haven't seen it take hold in the uh, data points as of yet. He's had to talk himself into... You tell that to PPG, into. you tell that Procter and, to Procter & Gamble, you tell that to Pepsi. I, there's, a, there's a reason why it's in these certain aspects and that could be transitory. Well, the we're question, made, we're the question uh, transitory is the right point here, right? Everybody in the market, or at least the narrative of the market has been, listen, these tariffs are going to be temporary. We're going to win this trade war. It's going to be better coming out the other side. Yesterday, the IMF comes out and says, hey, wait a second, maybe not. Now we're starting to get earnings warnings. Companies are saying things might be slowing down. These tariffs might be hurting. If you think that the tariffs are going to go away relatively soon, let's call it the next quarter, then yes, this is a longer-term buying opportunity. But I'm not that clear on that. It doesn't seem to me that these are going to go away that quick. So I think you have to be more of a trader, much more nimble in this market. It, it also, just, well, I'm sorry, just one more thing. When I'm trading on the floor today, what I didn't like was that everyone said, let's just get the sell-off over with, as if it's a reset where you have a sell-off and everyone's back in place and you're guaranteed another bull market. That, to me, speaks to the complacency that we've seen in this marketplace. You know, I hear a lot of talk about the Fed is derailing this, but everything you mentioned, I mean, there is inflation. President Trump said we have inflation in, in control. I, I'm not certain that's the case. I mean, and everything we've seen, Pepsi, Floor Corp you just talked about, Procter & Gamble, uh, PPG. I mean, they're seeing inflation somewhere. It's clearly costs are going higher. The Fed is doing everything right. I'll say this, though, and I don't know if people would agree. If the Fed flinches in December because of what potentially could be a market sell-off, we have bigger problems. Doesn't go. Doesn't go. So, so, even in light of this off, in light of this off, you still want the Fed to sell. Markets full down. The S and P ahead. is down five percent from an all-time high. For their credibility, high. they need to. For the Fed's credibility, they need to stay and on the path. And then what's the market response to a Fed rate hike at this point Depends in the month of Depends where we are, right? If higher? we bounce back and we're at the highs again and the Fed raises rates, then I think you've got a problem. If we're at the lows and we've priced in this December hike, then you know what? When did the sell-off start? It started with Powell's comments. October 2nd, we made the comments. October 3rd, we start to fall off a cliff. This is all generated by Powell, which was a risk-off event. If he backs off, everyone thought he was hawkish. So to your question, if he backs off and is dovish, it has to be the inverse of what we've seen already. No, why? The market has to be bought. You couldn't look at it as, all right, the Fed really, they didn't want to leave this path, but they have to. Things are so bad. I think they'll stay on no, the path. I think, I think what he was saying is we can overshoot a little bit based on inflation that, uh -huh. that no one could explain why we haven't seen it. We see pockets of it. If you but see inflation, not though, the here's a question, though. If you see inflation and you say, oh, inflation in the economy is a good thing for the right reasons, economic growth, what if you see inflation in the economy and it's man made inflation? Right. It's self inflicted inflation brought on by tariffs, brought on by higher oil prices because of sanctions on Iran. Is that the same and kind on, of inflation and on that you top still of, rates no. and, and on top up. of that question, they have to then think about the market implications. They have themselves a job that's already impossible, then is extraordinarily impossible. They can't try to uh, navigate a market 
in, in this environment, they can't stick the market landing and try to raise rates and try to think about everything that you just said. It's impossible. I think they got to raise rates. I agree. I, I, and I think just step back historically, look at rates are. Look at this quarter point that we're talking about. I mean, really, I, I, I said it's a much bigger. I, I agree. Oh, but the path from three percent to three and a quarter percent on the ten-year has hours, been fraught like, okay, with volatility. Yeah. But, but what you have to look at for the Fed is remember we're talking about inflation. Their main indicator is inflation, inflation expectations, and that hasn't ticked up at all. So if I'm the Fed and I'm looking at this and I say, you know what, if I don't raise, I lose credibility because the market fell down. All the indicators I see as a Fed, no inflation expectations. Why would I not? Why would I uh, get off the path of raising hikes at this point? So I think they do go. I think that is going to be a headwind for the market. But in the short term, you might get this tradable bounce here. All right. Well, despite today's major sell-off, our next guest sees a year-end rally shaping up. Says to buy the dip. For more on that, let's bring in Fundstrat's Tom Lee. This hey is the dip that you buy. Yes, um, you know, it's a dip where the VIX has spiked. Um, we've had a basically a, a waterfall collapse, and we know that we're going into this period where 74% of active managers are trailing their benchmark. So I, I think that the urgency or the urge for markets is really to put capital work to sort of close performance, which means a rally. Do you think that the declines that we saw in the markets today are really as bad as they seem on paper when you take into consideration the role that ETFs are playing in these markets and that you're selling, when you sell three of the ETFs that you probably own, you're selling the same stocks over and over and over again? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, there was a big correlation uh, increase today across markets. And part of it is that there is deleveraging when rates are high and when volatility is spiking. And we know risk parity funds were overweight bonds. So I think this is a lot of position squaring. But once this is behind us, I think people have to think about where opportunities are, especially under inflation, and, and equities really are the place to be. So, Tom, I know you do a lot of quantitative work, and that's been fantastic this year. What are your quantitative models saying about this? Let's take the emotion out of it. What do the machines say? So, uh, you know, quant funds almost universally like growth. And if, even our quant model by Sam Doctor is overweight growth. So one of the things that is crowded today is people are long duration, either in credit, right, through bonds or through growth stocks, which are long duration assets. So a shift towards high rates is a shift towards asset intensity. You want to be long assets, not duration, which means you want to possibly think about owning, owning growth uh, value stocks now. How are assets? Uh, uh, so I mean, you all could, stocks are assets, right? So, the, so I don't know what, what you're saying by that. So the adage used to be that it's harder to make a lot of E to offset PE. Um, so meaning in a world of rising inflation, an asset intensive business like financials can generate tons of earnings leverage because assets are growing, they're deleveraging, plus they can earn margin. If you're an asset-like company, like an R&D-based company, it's tough to actually keep up with inflation because you have labor costs, and the only thing you have is units growing for you. So asset-based businesses are value stocks. Tom, getting back to buy the dip, so I'll play devil's advocate. The S&P is down 5% from an all-time high, albeit three of those percentage points were today. What needs to change in order for it to be from buy the dip to maybe this is the beginning of something larger? Well, uh, the one metric we watch very carefully is the yield curve because you can't fight against an inverted yield curve. That tells you confidence of the future has gotten so bad that markets are contractionary. The curve has been steepening, actually, in this sell-off. So I, I actually find that pretty bullish that we've had uh, sort of future expectations improving. So I'll piggyback that. You said risk parity. The last time we had this risk parity event, we were trading down between 11 and 12 percent. So a guy had said it's down 6 percent, 3 percent today, basically. Is it a technical bounce or is it a, uh, a numerical percentage that we're coming off of for risk parity? Because risk parity has to be somewhat the same, linear, in, in, in its very essence of it. So. And we've seen the market run up. Granted, we haven't run up that much. Is it a percentage basis or a technical? Uh, it's, uh, it's probably a little bit of both. Because risk parity is going to want to overweight low vol and underweight high vol. And equities, relative vol at 20 is actually, you know, it's a spike, but it's actually relatively low vol. So I think equities sort of get an allocation. But you have to remember the seasonals are really good. I mean, you know, a correction happening, let's say, in May or the summer is scary because we have bad seasonals. Now we have good seasonals at a time when there's performance chasing. 
So I, I actually think it's a good opportunity here. Last question, I want to underscore the message that you're sending to viewers right now, and that is you buy the dip, but you want to buy the value stocks going to your end. That's where the rally is going to be, or is this going to be a broad-based rally with the same old players playing along, the FANG stocks, the tech stocks, et cetera? Yeah, so I, I have two frames. I think into year end, I think people go back to their favorites on their shelf. So, so uh, all these FANG names that have pulled back mm -hmm. look really cheap because they probably wanted to buy them at these levels or, you know, PayPal in the 70s. But next year, I think it's a story of markets are broader. It's really narrow this year, and it's more asset-based, which is inflation, pro-inflation trades, and it, it's probably a shift to value. I mean, that's one of, I think, the more important moments that's happening this year. Tom, good to see you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, great to see you guys. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. Do you buy Tom's uh, market playbook? I'm a little, listen, I'm always a half-empty person. So, I mean, I'd love to be optimistic. I'm, by definition, I'm not. So I do believe this is the beginning of something. Now, I'm not saying 20%, but anywhere from 12 to 15%, given the double tops we made to Steve's technical point in the S&P, I think there's more pain to come. All right, still ahead. We're all over this market sell-off, and we got you covered on every angle after a wild day on Wall Street. First up, it was a sea of red on the street, but despite the pain, there were a number of bright spots amid the chaos. We'll tell you what they are, what it could mean for the markets. Plus, tech, the big loser today, down nearly 5% as the market leaders continue to get sold the hardest. But a top technician says there is opportunity amid the chaos. He'll tell us the beaten-down tech names he's buying right now. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tech getting wrecked, leading today's massive sell-off, posting its worst day in more than seven years. The Nasdaq having its worst day since Brexit. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with more. Hi, Bob. Well, the only good news, at least the day is over. The Nasdaq is having its worst month since January of 2016. But while today's drop was big, much of the tech sector, this was the culmination of a months-long sell-off. Listen, FANG stocks, for example, they hit their highs as a group back in June. Four of the five FANG names are in correction, Terry. Facebook, look, 31% off its highs, 52-week highs. Apple's a relative winner. It's only 7% off its 52-week high. Semiconductor stocks is another good example. They hit their highs back in March of this year. Big names like LAM and Micron and AMD, even Intel is a Dow stock, 22% off their 52-week highs. But some big software companies, they held up relatively well until a few weeks ago. Then they, too, turned south this month. So Salesforce and Adobe, Oracle, they're all more than 10% off their highs. Microsoft down only 8%. This is relatively more contained damage. So what's been going on? We've been transitioning from a low-growth, low-yield world where it paid to buy technology because it was one of the only sectors with significant growth. But now we're moving into a higher growth, higher yield world where paying any price for growth may not be as attractive as it used to be. Now value stocks may be more attractive than growth and treasuries are starting to look more attractive versus stocks. It's important to keep this all in perspective, by the way. We think the world's falling apart, but tech, tech is still up 10% this year. Apple, Microsoft, and Cisco are still all up 20% or more this year. Don't lose track of that. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you so much, Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. And this really goes back to what Tom Lee of Fundstrat was just alluding to in terms of longer duration uh, stocks. Tech stocks fall into that category. Growth stocks fall into that category. So, Karen, when you take a look at your portfolio, you have a lot of the big tech names that Bob had actually outlined that we lost the leadership back in June. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling now after today's washout? And so I'm like nauseated and poor. <laughs> aside, aside, aside from, from that, that, yeah. I actually <laughs> dipped my toe into each of uh, Google and Facebook, both uh -huh. with call, call spreads in Google, a butterfly in Facebook for very little money. Um, it's kind of the weenie approach to like putting your toe back in. Second Takes term. one to no one, yeah. So, um, you know, I have no faith that I will pick the bottom. I never have faith that I will do that. But I just think, wow, they're really just coming after them so hard. I think it's, it's 
If you look at the seasonality of it that Tom alluded to earlier, if you're going into year end and you have most funds trailing their benchmarks, mm -hmm. you have to grab where the growthiest names are. And unfortunately, for a lot of people who want to get away from this, overvalued names, you're going to have to dip back into Amazon. You're going to have to dip back into Netflix. That's where you're getting the growth from in the last three months that'll torque your account. You, you don't fall into those categories, though. So do you feel like you got to get back into Amazon or you got to no. get back into Netflix? No, I don't think so at all. I mean, I actually think there's better places in tech. Look at something like Micron today, right? That one held up support levels. Every other tech stock was completely getting crushed. Micron, which has been getting crushed since June or July, as job, as, as uh, Bob, Bob, or job, uh, Bob pointed out. Nickname. <laughs> since, since June, July, it's been getting crushed. Now, all of a sudden, in a horrible market, it has relative strength. That's the type of name BK likes. It's interesting. Amazon, you talk about a stock that has not traded well. You know, we had a conversation a month or so ago. Is, is, is it green sale or clear selling for Amazon? We said, well, maybe it's ahead of itself. There's a very good chance it trades down to 1850. This is when it was making all time highs. Well, it did exactly that. And then it rallied back above 2000, but it failed in a meaningful way. And now it's below 1800. Not good. And by the way, Facebook never recovered those losses that we talked about earlier in the show, yeah. which is also disappointing. So the good news is. They set up, as Karen pointed out, the setup into earnings is probably as best as it's been for quite some time. Our next guest says there's two beaten down tech names that may still be worth a buy, two that are looking like a no touch. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com over at the Plasma. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Um, first, before we get into the individual names, let's talk about the NASDAQ. Obviously, massive selling. And, and Melissa, if you remember two days ago, you and I were on Power Lunch. We looked at, the, at this exact same chart and we're looking at a 7,000 uh, level. Let's go back to that NASDAQ. I don't want to get away from the index because the index is everything here. So, I want to first identify kind of the pullback zone of where we need to hold support. There's that NASDAQ. So we saw consolidation here, right? There's only two ways that markets trade. They either trade in consolidation or they trend trade. There's no other way to do it. The trend began right here. And what you want to do is pull out some of your retracement tools. In any healthy trend, you do expect a pullback. It's anywhere from one one, one third to three quarters. And those levels right here range from 7186 to 6680. This is the NASDAQ 100. These levels have to hold. This is your pullback zone right here. If you hold, this is a healthy correction. Unfortunately, not to get evil on you here, but if you break 6660 on the NASDAQ, that's big trouble and that is going to equate to more selling. So while we're contained in here, fine, we can look to scoop some, some names. So first one up, um, I think you guys just mentioned it was Apple. I feel like right up until the close, people forgot to tell Apple that we're in the middle of a tech sell-off. Just really good relative strength. I think we closed right around 215 here. There's a lot of support here. If the market were to somehow recover, that seems to be a buying opportunity in Apple. Just a really, really nice, clear, low volatility trade. I'm looking to scoop some if we hold that support level that I mentioned in the NDX. Um, that's the strongest name that we have. Next is Facebook. Karen just mentioned it. Again, a really quiet tape and a very pronounced tech sell-off. We have support. It actually held right at 150. Guy just said it as well. There's a huge tech sell-off happening, but the selling has already occurred. And we seem to be forming kind of a consolidation, decreasing volatility, just a disinterested selling party while above 150. If you take a look at the RSI, this is one of these technical indicators, relative strength index. It just indicates how much momentum there is behind a trend. All trends aren't the same. You could have trends with increasing momentum, greater rate of change, or decreasing rate of, rate of change. This indicator put in its low back here in that initial earnings move. We've seen higher lows in the RSI, which indicates decreased selling momentum. You could have lower prices, but at a decreasing rate of change. If you hold 150, Facebook could be a nice scoop. Karen, add some technicals into it, and I know you can do it. You don't, don't be afraid of it. I like the idea. Getting weaker here is Netflix. Unfortunately, I think Netflix just looks terrible. We have a head and shoulders top here. This is just not looking good. The neckline is going to be right along these lows here. If you break this Netflix, unfortunately, I think you've got to kind of change the channel on Netflix. This is not a healthy pattern and not a name I'd be looking to scoop. Finally, let's take a look at Alibaba. Even before the last two days of technology selling, Asia and China has been very weak. You take a look at the FXI, just couldn't get a bounce. Couldn't get a bounce at all. Alibaba, that kind of head and shoulders pattern I just mentioned, has already played out. 
the, the breakdown was right around here. We came back to retest, resistance held, which should have been support. That name, you can't sell it now, but you certainly don't want to buy it. I think those Chinese names, Asian equities are a big reason we're seeing so much pronounced technology sell off. Todd, thank you. Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Grasso, I know you've been a fan of Alibaba in the past. We have Alibaba down, but I mean, Tencent, it gets, seems to get worse every single day. It does. And plenty of people that have bought Alibaba, I'm still have a nice, sizable profit in it. But it doesn't matter when you have paper profits and you start to look at them, you assume they were yours to lock in, but you never sold it. So to me, even though I have a profit in it, I still think that when these tariffs start to resolve themselves, Alibaba's at a reasonable valuation. It's going to be a screaming buy as well. How worried should we be about Netflix? Because not only is it that long duration growth stock, right. but it also has a levered balance sheet. A I mean, it's very susceptible levered, to rising a, rates. A very levered balance sheet. And, you know, valuation, there is no valuation, right? So that's the one thing we know about this is, okay, it is it's also its growth is going to be in Asia. So if you're talking about a slowing Chinese economy and a uh, levered balance sheet with very little assets, asset light business, then this one actually does look quite vulnerable. Um, it still has that support there. To me, it looks like the same type of support that Apple has, so I wouldn't be super aggressive about selling it. Uh, but if it does break, I would agree with Todd that this thing looks bad. All right, we've got breaking news from the White House commenting on today's sell-off and the strength of the economy. Let's get to Eamon Jabbers at the White House. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. Air Force One is wheels down in Pennsylvania, where the president will be attending a rally tonight. But while the aircraft was in the air, uh, the White House issued this fairly lengthy statement from Sarah Sanders, the White House press spokesman, press spokesperson, uh, on the state of the economy. Here's what she said. She says, the fundamentals and future of the U.S. economy remain incredibly strong. Unemployment is at a 50-year low. Taxes for families and businesses have been cut. Regulations and red tape have been slashed. Paychecks are getting fatter. Consumers and small business confidence are setting records. And farmers, ranchers, and manufacturers are empowered by better trade deals. President Trump's economic policies are the reasons for these historic successes, and they have created a solid base for continued growth. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders there predicting continued economic growth uh, despite what we saw on the stock in the stock market today. And I should point out, uh, Melissa, that this is now the third statement that the White House has issued today as the market continued to slide. Two senior administration officials issuing comments to me uh, during the course of the day before the market closed. And now this statement on the record from Sarah Huckabee Sanders after the market closed today. Yeah, they are watching very closely. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers at the White House. Now, I guess the question for the markets is, if all of what Sarah Sanders has said is true, and let's say it's true, yeah. um, does that mean that it was six percent ago or five and a quarter percent ago on the S&P 500? Was that pricing that statement in? Right. I, that's a great question because I agree with just about everything she right. said, yeah. right? It doesn't in any way take into account prices. If you read that statement, any price is the right price to pay because all of these fundamental things are there. Well, we know that's not the case, right? So I understand well, this, is a, this is an administration that lives by the, the proxy of the market as, as their scorecard. I understand why they have to comment on it. But to me, those are two completely different things that's happening. Right well, it, it, it was the right price where interest rates were. So when you, when you get back, right. the recalibration, if interest rates still continue to rise at the same path. But now President Trump has a scapegoat in Jerome Powell because he's already said he's on record. For a while but now, saying he doesn't doing, want to, so he does have, he does have a doing that well. Then the economy is doing well, him. and we're on a great growth path. Then rates should be much higher than they are today. Powell should's doing the right thing. In fact, he might be behind the curve. But that, if you believe that, that goes back to if the economy is doing well and you see inflation <laughs> right. in the right way, then yes. that's fine. Right. But if you see inflation because of man-made man -made. Right. things, right. And, and the market is the right inflation to raise rates on. And right, and and they have to, and they have to do that calculus as well. I mean, the comment should be. We have become a vic Today shows us we're a victim of our own success. The economy is doing so well, which is why our Federal Reserve is doing the exact right thing, breaking I, I, news. I, I want to read you some comments that Trump apparently just said. Trump says the Fed has gone crazy, is too tight. I'm just simply reading the headlines. Trump says the Fed has gone crazy, is too tight. So he's, tight. Taking, he's giving ownership if the market sells off. He's pointing the Jerome finger. Jerome Powell and right. his market 
everything that Sarah said is going to be escalated. It's a tailwind. Jerome Powell is the headwind. So now yeah. there's good cop, bad cop. He shouldn't be doing that. I mean, that, the Fed, first of all, the Fed should operate independently. I hope it operates and, and independently. And he said that yesterday. And he said he respects he said the he, independence of the Fed. Okay. So he said <laughs> that yesterday. Was too crazy also, and remember, the of the Fed. during the campaign season, he hated right. Janet Yellen. She shouldn't, you know, sh where are they? We are way behind the curve. We need to be raising rates, you know. So if it, you know, if it works out for him, that what the Fed's doing, then they're great. And if what did know, the, I, I just think it's what did the Federal Reserve do today that that they went? Why did they go because the stock market sold off? Is that why the, the Fed went crazy? Well, the I'm, Fed I'm was equally sure. crazy. Yes, they didn't seem yeah. to do. I didn't hear anything from. But Federal October's, Reserve. if you look on a chart, it is. You, it's undeniable. October second, October third. No, those are the comments. But why shouldn't the Fed be raising of rates? Of course right. they should. Right. 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 Because that, that, what Melissa just said, if you're not seeing, if you're seeing inflation because there's growth in the economy, or is it a transitory, man-made event that we could sit on our hands for at least one more cycle? I want to see if we can get some more clarity on uh, these comments. Let's get back to Eamon Javers at the White House. Eamon, what do you know about these comments? Yeah, Melissa, I just told you that uh, Air Force One is wheels down in Pennsylvania, and the president has apparently been speaking to reporters uh, on the ground there. Uh, and that's where you see these comments from the president coming, some striking language here from the president. I'm looking at a summary here. We should get tape here uh, in a few minutes, but a summary uh, from reporters on the ground uh, who are uh, asking the president about stock market today. Uh, he says, I think the Fed is making a mistake. Uh, there's a lot of safety. Uh, the Fed has gone crazy. The president says in these comments on, on stocks, uh, he says, I really disagree with what the Fed is doing. OK, uh, so the president expressing some frustration. Uh, this is similar to the frustration uh, that he expressed with me when I asked him yesterday about what he thought about the Fed raising interest rates. But this language uh, much stronger, saying the Fed has gone crazy. Uh, the president told me yesterday that he has not spoken to Jay Powell at the Fed about his concerns about rising interest rates. He isn't. I asked him if he'd met uh, with Jay Powell at all this year. Year, uh, and he just uh, did not acknowledge that. He said, I don't interfere. I don't interfere with the Fed. Uh, today's language, though, uh, much more striking from the President of the United States saying that he thinks the Fed has gone crazy. Still no mm -hmm. indication, though, uh, that he's directing the Fed in any way or expressing this in any way uh, to folks over at the Fed directly. Of course, uh, they all have TVs as well. <laughs> of course they do. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers at the White House. Does this statement back Jerome Powell and the Fed deeper into that corner where they have to raise rates no matter what the data says at this Just point. Just to contradict the president, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Just to show uh, who. Yeah. yeah. When he says uh -huh. the Fed has I, gone I crazy. Think, I think you have to have, a, for, for the Fed to not go at this point in time, you'd have to have a very big deterioration in the economy. It would have to be an order of magnitude to anything that we're seeing at this point. I'm not saying the stock market is going to, I'm saying you have to see some negative growth signs here in the economy because I agree, the, he, this does put the Fed in a bad corner and the market still has to digest this. this this is the type of language that the market is not used to hearing from a U.S. president. This is the type of language you hear from Turkey, from Argentina, from those kinds of countries. But he has sort of warmed us up to unusual, well, yes. you know, That's usual comments true. from the president. president. The president, I'm paraphrasing, he said this is the strongest economy we've ever seen in the history of the country. So the Fed is raising rates. How is the Fed going crazy given that backdrop? That's, isn't that sort that's of their mandate? Yeah, that's a good point. So, I, you know, again, I think Steve is right. I said it the day that Joe Kernan had the interview. We talked about it on the show. He has now created a scapegoat in case the market goes lower, and that's exactly what's happening. I agree. Everything you said, the Fed is raising rates. Remember, also, from that artificially low, ridiculous level. So to, what the Fed should do nothing now? Even as the economy is at an all-time historic does not high, run away though. I mean, all of us at this table forget any politics. If and forget the Fed. Not to if we're you just, think this policy is inflation running cur away? The Phillips this curve. Is, the Phillips curve doesn't exist. Jerome Powell has said there's hardly any tenure, wage growth. Right, is what you're saying. Wage growth is what he's looking for. So all of this stuff could be just man-made, which you leaves don't think you the we're ability see to skip a cycle. You don't think we're going to see wage growth? I think we'll see it. We haven't seen it for quite some time. We're getting sniffs of it, and that was what the January, February. And so they should wait from this artificially low, low level. I don't and they think there's the any risk of them being, being behind the curve. I don't think there's any risk right now. What's, what's inflation uh, in, the, in the BK? What's inflation in this country? 
And what's the, what? What I are mean, you? You know, so you talk about that's real, right where they want to real have it, interest right? rates are still yeah. ridiculous. So look, I mean, I'm not an economist. Steve Leisman can come and talk about this. The Fed is doing absolutely everything right, and they should continue the course. If the market goes down on the back of it, we've gone and up for ten years. Still no signs of we've inflation. Gone up for we 10 should just continue. Of course, there's we signs of inflation. We've got and five pre announcements. And if they invert the real about, yield curve, we'll do the same thing that Greenspan did. Look at the last in the face Pepsi, of inverted yield curve. PPG. Uh, the list goes on and on of companies that are seeing and for ev every name. There's ten you names that haven't seen it. Let's listen to the words coming out of the president's own mouth. No, I think the Fed is uh, making a mistake. They're so tight. I think the Fed has gone crazy. So you could say that, well, that's a lot of safety, actually, and it is a lot of safety, and it gives you a lot of margin. But I think the Fed has gone crazy. Okay, so it was exactly what we saw, thought it was. The Fed has gone crazy is what the, the right. Not said. to take it out of context. Right. Well, it was perfectly in context, and that's exactly what he said. Well, if the Fed is said. going crazy, he should replace Jerome Powell then. I mean, if you have a crazy oh. Fed share. No, well, he, does that I, enter, I, I didn't call that him crazy. Into the mix he just said it twice. So it does. I think you have to think about no, that. No, seriously, you're thinking that he is, after he said, oh, Jerome Powell's a great man, blah, blah, blah. That's so, exactly what he says about everybody before he fires them. <laughs> he, he says they're a great person. We'll see what happens. Get on a plane. Next thing you know, here's your pink stuff. Okay, so, so here's the I don't know. I think you have to question. think about if it. If he replaces Jerome Powell with a low interest rate kind of person, which is what he likes, right? <laughs> what will the market what do? What will the markets do? Down. The knee jerk oh, will be higher. Down. They went Ooh. down on rising yeah. rates. Split decision. Karen, what do you say? Down. And down. then it will go lower. I agree. It'll go I'm up not suggesting he's down. going for oh, I mean, If you call some, if you call the Federal Reserve crazy. You're effectively calling the chairperson crazy. Yes. And if you have a crazy person in a seat in that magnitude, you can't allow that to happen. He used the word twice. That wasn't a mistake because he said he it again. He does exaggerate. He's got a he's tendency got, yeah. to He's the president <laughs> of the United States. He's got, well, okay. he's got a so, tendency to exaggerate. Let me just make an important point. When you look at the expectations for what the Fed has been doing, people have not been surprised in any way, right? Right. They have it's not been, been well priced it's always in, well priced in. everybody knows it's coming, mm -hmm. and he's crazy, and yet the market, I mean, I, I don't really get that, that the market seems to have digested and expected and, and, and think it's a reasonable, the market generally, I think, thinks it's a reasonable path. Maybe you're path. crazy, too. Maybe. <laughs> All right, so be it. Jury's out. No, it's okay. <laughs> Coming up, it was an earnings warning from PPG Industries that first sparked the selling. And now the traders will tell you the next stock to report earnings. That could have major implications for the market. Plus, if all the selling has you in a panic, do not worry. Guy here has you covered. He'll tell you the three keys to surviving a sell-off. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. There's much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks getting slammed. It might not have seemed like it, but there are some bright spots in today's market. Dom Chu separates the good from the bad. Back in the newsroom. Hi, Dom. I mean, 17, Melissa, 17 stocks. That's how many in the S&P 500 finished the day in positive territory during that carnage that was Wednesday trading. By now, the superlatives on the biggest drops since how many stocks have pulled back by how much, etc. All of those have made their way around the circuit. But as is often the case with big broad-based down days like we saw today, we'll often try to find some of the positive stories and silver linings-ish that played out. 
as I said above, there aren't many out there that are outright green stories, but there are a handful of these general outperformers. Now, as far down as luxury retailer Tiffany fell today on the heels of a less than upbeat report out of European luxury house LVMH and the cautious China feel of that report, not all of retail fell by as much as Tiffany did. In fact, if you check out shares of Dollar Tree, also Kohl's, Dollar General, those U.S.-based retail chains focused on budget-conscious and mid-scale consumers were actually up on the day. Then there are some of the consumer staple stocks, like Campbell's Soup, on the heels of activist investor Dan Loeb and his latest salvo against Campbell's board. Check out J.M. Smucker as well, or General Mills, each of those three stocks in the green today. Caveat there, of course, is that many of these consumer staple stocks have been in medium to long-term downtrends heading into recent trading action. Then there are, of course, the utilities, traditionally defensive plays that have those higher dividend payments. They were outperformers as well. Check out shares of PPL, also PSE&G, and NYSource among those positive names in the sector. Though, yes, the sector did end up fractionally in the red on the day overall. But the big question tomorrow, Melissa, outside of those outperformers, who actually wants to buy the dip in some of those other stocks that got hit the hardest? But those were at least some of the positive ones. Back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you. Dom Chu back in the newsroom. Who wants to buy these silver linings? Who wants to buy Campbell's Soup? Nice source, you know. I mean, Campbell's Pork and Beans is interesting because you have an activist in there, right? So you have a bit of a floor in this stock. It should kind of, kind of buck the trend of the general market. So if you're looking for a place maybe to be a little bit cautious, I think Campbell's Pork and Beans gets you done. Is that how I say it? Pork and yeah. Beans. Yeah. Pork and Beans will get you done. Yep. We talked yeah. about it a couple days ago when we had the we activist did. news, and we said, you know, maybe the bottom's in, valuation is rich, but... Was it yesterday? Yeah. It's amazing like days how ago. days go by <laughs> like this. I don't even remember. But on green on a lousy day, not a bad yeah. sign. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that one because you really do have an activist that could make something happen. And in the meantime, yeah, it's not a terrible place to hide out. Yep. All right. So if you're just trying to weather this market sell-off, are there hideout trades out there? The traders have some ideas. So, Guy, what is your hideout trade? Well, I think my hideout trade is going to be Pfizer drug. Listen, it was down 2% today. It's, I'm not going to say it outperformed. Everything was obviously down. Steve talks about it all the time. I actually think 93% of stocks were down today, which is worse than usual. But I still think there's some upside in health care. I think valuations are reasonable. I think their pipeline is very good. And the fact that the stock has been on a rocket ship since President Trump tweeted about him a couple months ago about prices says all I need to know. It's very similar. You saw with Lockheed Martin when he became president. I think Pfizer goes higher from here. Karen, hideout stock. Hideout stock. Target. I mean, you know, they're doing the right things fundamentally. I also like who their customer is, and I think they're not really paying so much close attention to the Fed dots, and I think that the consumer's strong. Uh, I know wage growth, but it cuts both ways. People have more to spend, and they, too, have to pay more to their consumers, but uh, to their employees. Altogether, though, I like in the valuation of things attractive. Brian Kelly. Well, for me, it's going to be a name you haven't heard in a while, Freeport Mac. Mm. Oh, and wow. it goes a little bit into Tom Lee's thesis that, listen, if we're going to get inflation, you want to be in some of the asset-heavy companies. But then let's take the other side of it and say, you know what? What if the Fed does pause? What happens? You get a weaker dollar. Gold, copper, those type of things go higher. So Freeport Mac, to me, is the place you hide out. That's Big like brain fast, on BK. Fast money circa yeah. 2009. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Grasso. So basically I had two. Pfizer was one, but GE was the other one. If you look at most of the day today, GE was in, in the green. So it was up positive on a down colossal failure day. So when I look at it, it's up 23% in the last month. Now it's having price targets another 20% higher from here. Believe it or not, GE can be a hideout trade. So bad it's good. Yeah. Right? I mean, how go. much worse can it get? There you <laughs> go. <laughs> the bottom Maybe. In for GE? I don't know if the bottom's in, but I think it rallies into earnings. And we said the other night yeah. it can go. If we did a whole, what's the thing when we go by the type play this game know. over there? The more you know. And then Karen did it and then a few value. days later in the same value. stock. And look at this thing. It's, yep. it's a rocket ship. All right. Yeah. Coming up, if today's sell-off has your running scared, Guy here has your back. He'll tell you the three keys to surviving a sell-off. Plus, stock's getting slammed today, but one of the traders says it could be the perfect time to buy, and he's got a way to do it without risking a lot. He'll break it all down when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The market in meltdown mode today with the Dow sinking 800 points, the Nasdaq having its worst day since Brexit. And I might have you running around in a total panic, but do not worry. Guy Adami has covered you with the three keys uh, to surviving a sell-off. Guys, over at the Plaza with the more you know. Guy. Yeah, it's funny. I learned how to play that on the piano, and the next time I do it, I'm actually going to do it from the piano, but that's for another show, Mel. Surviving a sell-off. Here we go. Everybody wants a sell-off. That is until it happens. You know, when in your mind you say, I can't wait for the market to sell off 5%, 6%, and then it happens, you say, well, I didn't think it was going to sell off because of those reasons, and it becomes scary. Try to take emotion out of it. Everybody wants one until it's happening. Well, it's happening now. Embrace it. It's never for the reasons you thought it would be. Number two, stick to firm levels. And I'll give you a good example. We have talked about Facebook now for quite some time. We said there's a very good chance Facebook trades back down to 155, the levels that we saw when Mr. Zuckerberg testified on Capitol Hill. We're here now. Maybe it's a huge opportunity to get in ahead of earnings. But if that was your level a month ago, stick to your levels. Last one. There's no harm in waiting either. We're going under earnings period. And I said earlier, I think earnings are going to be fine. I think earnings estimates going forward might not be so good. So maybe we'll see a sell-off on the back of that. You don't have to jump in all in. There's no harm to wait. So again, you're getting the sell-off that you wanted. If you have levels, stick to them. And if you're a little apprehensive, you know what? You can wait a couple weeks and see how it all shakes out. Try to take emotion out of this game. Don't be emotional. See that, Mel? I tried not to be emotional. Nicely done. Karen has a question or, I have or a question for you. All right. What if you made a mistake going in and you were levered? Made a mistake going in and you're levered. So yeah. what should be the first? In other words, you own stocks and you're underwater. I think that's your question. No, no. It's not underwater. It's if you were levered. Like on margin? On margin. Right. As an individual. Yes. Oh, well, then I don't want to say I don't do that. That's not my. No, opinion. and I'm not suggesting people but, should do that. I mean, that, that you're no, playing. No, we're not you, suggesting that. You what probably you shouldn't be playing in that deep. Leverage is a great thing when it's working for you. As you know, it's a terrible thing when it's working against you. And as volatility increases, it works against you even further. So I don't really know how to answer that question. Hopefully, we don't find much of our audience in that position. I'm just trying to speak for the people that maybe aren't levered and are looking for opportunity. So, Guy, real quick, what do you look at? What do you put the most importance on? Relative strength index? So you see if the stock is oversold or overbought. Moving averages or retracements just for the home game? Yeah, I mean, in order of importance for me, you know, relative strength's a tough one. But every once in a while, it's sort of a glaring one. And it happened, and you remember the day, it happened in Amazon about a month or so ago when the relative strength in Amazon was at levels we hadn't seen in 20 or so years. That was a trigger to sell. Every once in a while, you get that on the upside, and hopefully we're going to get it on the downside. So given the choice of the three in a vacuum, relative strength. All right. The more you know. Thanks for that, Guy. Coming up, ugly day for stock, but one of our traders says this could be the perfect time to make a contrarian market bet. He'll tell you how to do it without the risk. Plus, here's a sneak peek into the Mad Money studio. Jim Cramer, a big warning here from Jim about the market last night, and you won't believe what he has to say after today's big sell-off. we got much more on that, of course, top of the hour. Meantime, we are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks plunging today, but our very own Professor Coe says, believe it or not, this could be the perfect time to make a contrarian market bet. Mike is joining us from San Francisco to explain. What do you mean by that, Mike? Yeah, so, you know, obviously we've had several consecutive days of weakness, and today it really seemed a little bit capitulatory towards the end there, the relative strength index, which Guy was just talking about. Maybe not the strongest indicator, but to, it is something I look at from time to time. The market obviously was looking extremely weak, and I thought now might be a time to dip in and buy some calls, which is actually what I did very close to the close today. And if this is something viewers are thinking about doing, it is a way that you can make a bullish bet here without risking a great deal. Specifically, you could look maybe out to the spiders, November, the 285 calls when I was looking at those. Close to the close, those were about $3. And that is a relatively inexpensive, just over 1% of the strike price bet that you could make that the SPY could rally a little bit in the coming 30 days or so, which oftentimes will happen if you see circumstances where the market is oversold like this. It would need to rally mm -hmm. through that 285 strike by at least the premium you spent. But in the interim, if you get a bounce, you'd also see those calls get a little bit of a boost as well. Okay, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Uh, for more options action, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. In the meantime, we do want to get some more about the president's comments made in just the past half hour or so. He said, quote, 
I think the Fed has gone crazy. Uh, we want to bring in former Dallas Fed President Richard Fisher, who joins us on the fast line. Um, Dick, great to have you with us. So what should we ma- <laughs> When you hear these what? comments, what did you think? Nothing. I would Nothing. ignore them. I, think, I, I don't think, look, we've heard these comments before. He was a little more gentle in what he said the other day. But he made it very clear he doesn't talk to Jay Powell. He doesn't try to communicate with the Fed. They have to do their job. It's his personal feeling. Um, we've gone through this a couple of times now, and uh, it's had, in the end, no impact. So I don't think that's what's moved the market. His reaction to it obviously is his own reaction. But I know, I know how tough Jay Powell is, and I also know how the FOMC, as a committee, views its mission. They're all sincere about it. Is a non-political institution, and they will not buckle to the president's wishes. I, I understand that. At the same time, Richard, do you think that the Fed should take into consideration the different kinds of inflation that we may be seeing in this market? We had a very spirited debate here on this desk about whether or not the inflation was organic to the growth of the U.S. economy or self-inflicted via the tariffs and the sanctions on Iran, which have driven up oil prices. Is there a distinction in your view in in terms of how the Fed should think about inflation and and what kind of inflation the Fed should be hiking into? Well, remember, the Fed cuts out what happens on the energy front Mm -hmm. and, as you know, cuts to the core. Um, The economy is robust. We see the NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Business, released a report just you know, Dawn saying how incredibly encouraged those people that employ a little over 50% of all the workers in America. Uh, by the way, they're not listed companies. They don't trade in the markets, but they are the backbone of the U.S. economy. So the real economy seems to be doing quite well. The inflationary pressure, uh, the Fed looks at expectations. The expectations are rather mild right now, still around the 2% level. And then we'll have to see what happens in terms of uh, total comp, which, as we know, is rising significantly more than 2%. But the trade stuff hasn't yet kicked into the system. It probably front-loaded a little economic growth by due to inventory build. But we haven't seen the inflationary impact yet. And I, I just want to make one other comment here, because we're all interested in what happens in markets. The Fed gave our nation and the market operators a huge gift. And that gift was given when we expanded the balance sheet by a trillion seven hundred fifty billion by February last week in February of two thousand and nine. The market bottom, the S and P at six sixty six, the Book of Revelations number, as we like to call it back then, and it's been on a tear ever since. So I don't think the Fed, and particularly Jay Powell, given his background in credit and credit markets, capital markets, is going to shed a tear because the market has corrected. It may go back up. It may correct even further. Uh, This has been a one-way street for a very long time, and nobody who has any common sense has been living without an expectation that at some point you'd have, obviously, dramatically new volatility and some kind of price reset. Right. The Fed cares only about if it affects the real economy. Sure. Right now, the real economy is doing well. Yeah. Richard, thanks so much for joining us on Quick Notice. We appreciate it. Richard Fisher, the former Dallas Fed president. Quickly, in terms of tomorrow... Watch the 200-day moving average in the S&P cash, 27.65. What do you watch? I'm hoping for a huge down and then buy. Yeah, look for that reversal. Down day, rip higher. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.